You're listening to Qalam Institute's podcast. Visit us on the web at qalaminstitute.org and join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash qalaminstitute. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the prophetic biography. We left off last time talking about the passing, the death of the mother of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and um, how difficult that was for him and uh, the circumstances surrounding her passing. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was six years of age when his mother passed away. Now, in the end of last week's session, in the aftermath of the passing of his mother, we talked about how there are two narrations, there are two uh, incidents related as to what happened in the aftermath. Um, what is more popularly mentioned in the books of Sirah is the fact that Ummu Ayman, the foster mother of the Prophet ﷺ, who was traveling along with them, she actually brought the Prophet ﷺ the rest of the way because his mother passed away on the way from Mecca to Medina. So Ummu Ayman brought the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, the six-year-old child who had just lost his mother, his only surviving parent. She brought him the rest of the way to Mecca and brought him to the safety and the care of his grandfather Abdul Muttalib. Um, another um, incident that's related or another version that is related in some of the books of Sirah is the fact that Ummu Ayman, since they had not gotten too far out of Medina, Ummu Ayman actually goes back to Medina because the Prophet ﷺ has some family there in Medina and takes him back there to the safety of at least his uncles and whatnot. And then they're there for a number of days until Abdul Muttalib receives the news that you know, your, your daughter-in-law um, has passed away, so your grandson is there by himself. And then Abdul Muttalib actually travels to Medina to retrieve the Prophet and bring him back home. Regardless of the exact scenario, the Prophet of Allah comes now at the age of six, he, both of his parents have passed, and now he he is in the care of his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. But now talking about his time that he spent with his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, you know, something very interesting as a, just something I was reflecting on. You know, we're, we're, most of the time people are aware of the fact, Muslims generally are aware of the fact that the, the Prophet ﷺ never knew his father. His father passed away before he was born. And his mother passed away at the age of six. And that was of course a test and a trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a means of his tarbiyah, his upbringing. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, by means of these experiences instilled certain things within the Prophet ﷺ, which would be instrumental in him serving as the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. At the same time though, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as part of his tarbiyah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never deprived him of the presence of a loving, caring individual, somebody who would care for him, somebody that would take care of him. Because whenever we talk about whoever it was that was caring for the Prophet at that particular point in time, whether it was Halima al-Sa'diyah, whether it was his mother, whether it was his grandfather, and then afterwards Abu Talib, you always find one thing very consistently that whoever it is that is taking care of the Prophet that is the guardian of the Prophet ﷺ at that time is a very loving, caring individual 
is an extremely gentle human being. And not only that, but the person that is the most important to them in their entire lives while they are um, in charge of the Prophet is Muhammad So regardless of who it was, the, their, whoever was the guardian of the Prophet their world would revolve around this child. And that child would instantly become the most important part of that person's life. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while performed the tarbiyah of the Prophet ﷺ by taking away his parents early on, at the same time to not emotionally deprive the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And that's why the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was such a beacon of love and kindness and gentleness. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ through his own personal relationships, he was the best husband ever. He, was, he showed us what it meant to be affectionate with our wives. By, through his own example. And the Prophet ﷺ was the best parent ever. He showed us what proper parenting was. The Prophet ﷺ was the most exemplary grandfather ever. And he showed us what affection and love a grandparent should show towards their grandchildren. And so the, part of the Prophet's upbringing was at the same time to always have a loving, caring individual who would be there for the Prophet and was there to take care of him. So at this particular point in time, at the age of six, it was the grandfather of the Prophet Abdul Muttalib. One of the things I mentioned a couple of sessions ago, another interesting observation about everyone who was an influence upon the Prophet of Allah is the fact that they were always people of very high character, very noble morals and ethics. All right, it was always a remarkable individual. Whether it was the mother of the Prophet Amina, or Halima Sa'diyah, and then in, uh, then the mother of the Prophet ﷺ, and now in this case, Abdul Muttalib. We've talked about very early on in some of the previous recordings, if you'd like to go back to them, where it talks about the extended family and the parents and the grandparents of the Prophet ﷺ. In that session, I described Abdul Muttalib and talked about him, what the books of history tell us about him, and he was a very remarkable individual. This is a man who was very devout. He was a man of deep spiritual convictions. And of course, there's, there's a whole discussion there as to what his exact you know, his beliefs were. Regardless of what his beliefs were, this was a man of great conviction. This was a deeply spiritual man. This was a man who was very moral, very ethical, very noble, and very upright. And he was a very honest man. He was a very brave and courageous man. He walks up to Abraha, the man who's arrived there in some narrations, it says, with an army of tens of thousands of soldiers and 11 or 13 elephants. Right to literally destroy his entire city, and he just walks up to this man and just says, "You know, some of your some of your men stole my camels, and I'd like them back." And speaks to him very frankly, very openly, very honestly. So this was a very remarkable individual, and so this is another person who had an influence and an impact upon the Prophet ﷺ as a child. So some of the narrations, they describe Abdul Muttalib and how Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather, and this is a man who still has his own children who are alive. This is a man who probably has dozens of grandchildren of his own. And this is a man who is a leader of all of Quraysh, not just his family, his extended family, Banu Hashim, but he's a leader of all the families. He's the leader of Quraysh itself. So he sits at the head of the most powerful central city in Arabia. So by some accounts, and people actually, the books of history talk about this, that many people in Arabia, especially the Hijaz, the internal region of the Arabian Peninsula, people used to refer to Abdul Muttalib as the most powerful man in Arabia. He was the most influential, most powerful, most revered man in all of Arabia. So 
to put it simply, this is, this is a very important person who had a lot on his plate. He had hundreds of people who needed his time, who required his time. And this was a very busy man. In spite of all of this, the books of history, the Seerah of Ibn Hisham, the Seerah of Ibn Ishaq, Al-Waqidi, and other great scholars, classical scholars of Seerah, they talk about how Abdul Muttalib took care of the Prophet that this orphaned grandchild of his, this six-year-old child, he didn't just hire a maid to take care of him. He didn't just buy another slave woman that here, just look after him, run around after him, just make sure he doesn't get in my way. He didn't go and dump him at home, tell his wife or his, one of his daughters, listen, you got to take care of him from now on. But how he personally took care of him. It talks about him that, فَلَمَّا تُوفِيَتْ Amina بِنْتْ Wahab. قَبَضَهُ إِلَيْهِ جَدُّهُ عَبْدُ الْمُطَّلِبُ وَضَمَّهُ وَرَقَّ عَلَيْهِ رِقَّةً لَمْ يَرِقَّهَا عَلَىٰ وَلَدِهِ It says that after the mother of the Prophet Amina died, passed away, Abdul Muttalib took, took guardianship of the child. And he brought him close to him and near him. He embraced him. And he was more gentle and more kind and generous with him than he was even with his own children. وَكَانَ يُقَرِّبُهُ مِنْهُ وَيُدْنِيهِ and Abdul Muttalib would always look for the Prophet ﷺ. He always wanted him close to him. He would always draw him near to him. He would always look for him at all times. He wouldn't go to sleep until he checked on him. Like a parent does with the child. Like a parent goes before they go to sleep, before they eat, they go and they check on the child. Right? Abdul Muttalib would do that with the Prophet ﷺ. And then it actually describes something about Abdul Muttalib. Since Abdul Muttalib was this big, powerful, important individual, So during the daytime, on the side of the Kaaba, where there would be a shade cast by the Kaaba itself, there was a little mattress, all right? There was, there was almost like a bit of, a, there was a cushion. Alright, that would be placed there next to the Kaaba for Abdul Muttalib to sit on and it would be put, placed on the side where the shade would fall from the Kaaba so that he'd be in the shade of the Kaaba and the thing that he would lean against was the Kaaba itself. So he would lean against the Kaaba, sit uh, against the Kaaba, under the shade of the Kaaba and he would sit there and he would greet people and meet people and welcome people and talk to people and that's where people could come and find him. That was kind of the seat, the throne, the court of Abdul Muttalib. And this was a special seat that was reserved for him. Nobody would dare ever sit on that seat. And that cushion would stay there all the time. And nobody would dare sit on it because they knew this is where Abdul Muttalib comes and sits. Alright, so he had that respect in that regard. And immediately around that little cushion, that seat that was specially placed for him, his sons would come and sit around there. And they would kind of sit close to him, but they would sit around that. And they would go and sit there from before until um, Abdul Muttalib himself would then come out and then he would get seated on his seat. Forget about anybody else, even his own children would not dare sit on that seat because it was specially reserved for Abdul Muttalib, a man of great regard and great respect. Out of respect for him. But then at the same time, Ibn Ishaq writes, فَكَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَأْتِي The Prophet ﷺ would come, six-year-old child, he would come. وَهُوَ غُلَامٌ جَفْرٌ 
And the, it describes the Prophet ﷺ that when he was a boy, when he was a child, he was kind of a chubby child. He was kind of a chubby kid. And so he was like this six-year-old chubby little kid. And he would come, and he would come and sit right smack dab in the middle of that seat. Alright, so just like kids tend to do, he would come and he would sit down right in the middle of that seat. Alright, you know, kids kind of have those tendencies and, and they usually do that when they know they can get away with it. Right, like at, at my house, uh, for, for my father, one, uh, one year for Eid actually as a present, we bought like a recliner, like a really nice recliner so he can sit and relax and chill on it. And, um, and he was able to utilize it until my daughter came along. And now my daughter comes and she sits on it. And if he's sitting on it, she makes him get up and then she sits on it. And she doesn't even allow, allow him to sit on it anymore. So kids do that. And they usually do it out of affection. They do it out of love. And they, know, they do it when they know they can get away with it. So the Prophet this chubby six-year-old kid, he would run in and he would come and go and sit down on that seat. His uncles would come and they would grab him and pick him up and move him from there. No, no, no. What are you doing? Come here, come here. Come here. Hey, hey. Right? So they would grab him and they'd pull him off the seat. Like, don't sit there. You're not supposed to sit there. فَيَقُولُ عَبْدُ الْمُطَّلِبِ إِذَا رَآ ذَلِكَ مِنْهُمْ دَعَوْ إِبْنِي When Abdul Muttalib would see them moving the Prophet from the seat, he would say, no, 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 leave my son alone. Leave my boy alone. Don't mess with him. Leave him. Let him sit there. And then he would actually remark, he would say, فَوَاللَّهِ إِنَّ لَهُ لَشَأْنًا He would say, I swear by God, there's something special about him. He's, he's a boy that's meant for great things. Let him be. ثُمَّ يُجْلِسُهُ مَعَهُ عَلَىٰ فِرَاشِهِ And then Abdul Muttalib would come and sit and pick up the Prophet ﷺ and sit him in his own lap. But he would not move him completely. He would sit and put him in his lap. وَيَمْسَحُ ظَهْرَهُ بِيَدِهِ And he would sit the Prophet ﷺ in his lap and then he would rub his back with his hand. He'd rub his, the, the back of the Prophet ﷺ with his hand. And then it describes Abdul Muttalib that he would literally sit there and just stare at the Prophet ﷺ, watching him do whatever he would do, and he would just have a smile on his face. You know when a child just captures your heart? There's nothing more beautiful in this world than, the, than that child to you. You know, you just sit there and you just watch the child. And he does, it doesn't matter how... You know, useless of a thing that child is doing. How meaningless of an activity the child is engaging in. You just sit there and you just stare at him and you just have this goofy smile on your face the whole time. Just because there's nothing more beautiful, more wonderful than, than the child that you've ever seen in this world. It's the most magnificent thing you've ever seen. Abdul Muttalib would come and just rub the back of the Prophet ﷺ, sit him in his lap, and you just sit there and you just stare at him watching, playing and doing things, and just smile the entire time and just stare at him. And this is how Abdul Muttalib took care of the Prophet ﷺ and how much he loved the Prophet of Allah ﷺ. He would even say sometimes, when, when uh, the Prophet ﷺ would come and sit down on the cushion and the uncles or the other people would come and try to move the child, would try to move the Prophet of Allah ﷺ from the cushion, the, Abdul Muttalib, when he would reprimand him, he would say, Da'u ibni, he would say, leave my boy, leave him alone, don't, don't mess with him. And then he would actually say, Innahu la yu'nisu mulkan. He would actually say that he looks like a king. Let him sit there, he looks like a king. You know, so th that's the type of love that he had for the Prophet of Allah wasallam. There's a very interesting narration that talks about one of the very interesting, you know, 
incidents. This is something that as we progress through the seerah of the Prophet, we've talked about before in terms of what his mother experienced when she was pregnant with him, what she experienced when she gave birth to him, some of the incidents that occurred um, at the time of the birth of the Prophet that one conversation that, you know, what happened with him when he was in the care of Halima Sa'di at the splitting of the chest, the, a conversation that his mother had with a couple of Jewish men in Medina and Yathrib, and that's why she left from there. So similarly, these types of incidents, little, little incidents, will continue to occur throughout the life of the Prophet until he grows older. And so one time a man from Banu Mudlaj came to Mecca. And when he came to Mecca and he came to visit Abdul Muttalib, of course, you know, he's an important man. You go, to, you, you go and you visit him. You're in his house. You're in his town, in his hood. And so he came to visit Abdul Muttalib. And... While he's visiting Abdul Muttalib, he's staring at the Prophet the entire time because again, Abdul Muttalib's standard operating procedure is if I'm sitting here talking to people, the child is here in my lap. And so the Prophet is in the lap and the man is staring at you know, the Prophet the entire time. And then he says to Abdul Muttalib, take care of this child. Take care of this child. Be careful with this child. And he says because when I see him and the way he walks and the way he carries himself, the way he conducts himself, you can tell he's going to be somebody very important. He's meant for great things. This is a child that, that is meant for greatness. So be very careful with this child. Abdul Muttalib, when he heard this, you know, he immediately went to, he called for the most responsible, the most trusted of his sons, Abu Talib. He called him and he said that, listen to what they're saying. Listen to what this man has to say about your nephew. And then Abdul Muttalib had the man say the same thing to Abu Talib. And then he told Abu Talib that I want you to take care of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Look, I might not be around forever. And there are actually some narrations, I had mentioned this earlier when we had talked in more detail, like a biography of Abdul Muttalib, we had talked about this, that some books of history actually mention that Abdul Muttalib lived to be 150 years old. He was very, very old. And so Abdul Muttalib was a very, very old man. So he said, look, I'm not gonna live forever. All right, and, I, and this child, we need to take care of him. There's something special about this child. So he tells Abu Talib, I want you to look out for him. And it will be your responsibility after me to take care of this child. Abu Talib goes to Ummu Ayman, the, the foster mother of the Prophet ﷺ, the woman by the name of Baraka. And he says, Ya Baraka, la taqfuli an ibni. He says, listen, this, this son of mine. So even Abu Talib refers to the Prophet ﷺ, this son of mine, my child. Right? He says that don't ever be neglectful of him. Don't ever look away from him. Make sure you always pay attention to him and you always take care of him. And he says that, and then Abu Talib says something very interesting. He says, I've been keeping an eye on him because obviously Abu Talib cared deeply about the Prophet and he said, my father, Abdul Muttalib, our leader, he's told me to specially put me in charge of looking after him. So I've been keeping an eye on him and I saw this nephew of mine, Muhammad. I saw him playing with the bo other boys. And while they were playing with the other boys, they kind of went to the outskirts of the neighborhood of the city of Mecca. They were playing kind of on the edges of the town. And I went out there to check on them. And while, they were while I was watching them, I saw some people traveling by. And they were some of the Ahlul Kitab. 
right? They were Christians or Jews. And as they were tra traveling by and they were kind of stopped, they, they were encamped there. And they were watching also the children play. And they were watching very closely and intently. They were watching Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa They were watching our nephew here. And he said that, يَزْعَمُونَ أَنَّ إِبْنِي نَبِيُّ هَذِهِ And I heard them talking, and they think that this nephew of mine, they assume, they think this nephew of mine is the Nabi of this Ummah. He is the Prophet to come. And so, whether that's true, if that is true, then he's a child meant for great things. We need to take care of him. And regardless of whether it's true or not, a lot of people will be paying a lot of very special attention to this child. Some might mean him good and some might have some ill will towards him. We have to be diligent all the time and we have to take care of this child all the time. And subhanAllah, it goes on to say, وَكَانَ عَبْدُ الْمُطَّلِبْ لَا يَأْكُلُ طَعَامًا إِلَّا يَقُولَ عَلَيَّ بِإِبْنِي Abdul Muttalib, when he would sit down to eat food, he wouldn't even eat food, he would say, where's Muhammad? No, not eating. And you can imagine a man of that stature, a man of such importance, you know, everybody kind of serves him and puts food down in front of him and usually ends up eating food with a lot of very other important people. And so everybody's serving him and wanting to take care of him, make sure he eats properly and everything's to his liking and everything. And he would literally sit there and disappoint people. He wouldn't even start eating and say, where's Muhammad? How am I supposed to eat? How do I know that Muhammad ate or not? What? No, I'm not eating food. Where's Muhammad? Where's my son? Bring me my boy. I need to find out if he ate first. He literally would not even eat food until the Prophet ﷺ, he knew for a fact that the Prophet ﷺ had eaten. And he sometimes would not literally eat food, even if they would tell him, no, uh, father or grandfather, or ya Abdul Muttalib, ya Amir, our leader, he's eaten already. We've checked, we made sure he's taken. No, I need to see him. And they would have to bring the Prophet ﷺ, the six, seven-year-old child, they would have to bring him to the grandfather, and the grandfather would look at him and say, son, is everything okay? Did you eat food? Are you sure? Is everything alright? And then and only then would Abdul Muttalib eat. That's how much he loved, and that's how much he took care of the Prophet of Allah ﷺ. And it said that, when the Prophet ﷺ, Ibn Ishaq writes, فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ ثَمَانِيَ سِنِينَ هَلَكَ جَدُّهُ عَدُ الْمُطَّلِبِ بِنْ هَاشِمْ That finally when the Prophet of Allah ﷺ reached the age of eight, so he spent about two years under the care of his grandfather, at when he reached the age of eight, then his grandfather Abdul Muttalib passed away. And it actually, again, because he was such an old man and he was probably experiencing illness as it was before he passed away, he called all of his family together, especially his sons and his daughters. So these were all the uncles and the aunts of the Prophet And so all of them gathered together and they were all sitting there and they were all sad and the inheritance was being distributed and special wills were being made out for special people and everything was being done. And while they gathered there, the Prophet, uh, Abdul Muttalib at that time spoke about the Prophet as well and he emphasized the importance of taking care of this child upon all of his family members. But particularly, he singled out Abu Talib. And then finally, he lastly put Abu Talib in charge of the Prophet ﷺ and he said, My special dying request to you, 
My last request is Abu Talib, my dear son, please take care of my grandchild. Take care of this grandson of mine, Muhammad, and it is your responsibility to always take care of him and to always be diligent in caring for him. And then finally he passed away and he was buried in the graveyard at Hajun. And it's also mentioned while talking about the passing of Abdul Muttalib because he gave Abu Talib such a huge responsibility which was the care of the Prophet Wasallam. And in, in the mind of Abdul Muttalib, that was the biggest responsibility. That was the most important issue on the table. Who will take care of Muhammad Wasallam? He then turned to another one of his sons, the uncle of the Prophet Wasallam, by the name of Al-Abbas who we know, Abbas radiallahu anhu would later on accept Islam. He turned to Abbas and he gave Abbas the responsibility of the well of Zamzam. And remember we talked about in the earlier sessions how Abdul Muttalib was the one who had rediscovered Zamzam. That the well of Zamzam had been buried and had been concealed and had been lost for centuries. And Abdul Muttalib literally saw a dream. And in that dream, he was shown the place. And you know, some of the scholars even note that these were angels or malaika, because this was part of the foretelling of the coming of the Prophet that this great khair would be unearthed would be unsealed, would be rediscovered to bring and to welcome the coming of the Prophet So Abdul Muttalib was in charge of the well of Zamzam. And so he tells his son Al-Abbas, one of the uncles of the Prophet that from, from here on out, you're in charge of the well of Zamzam and you're also in charge of then giving water, serving water and arranging for water from the well of Zamzam to the Hujjaj and to the visitors of the Baytullah, to the Kaaba, you will be in charge of taking care of that. And even though Abbas was one of the youngest of the sons of Abdul Muttalib, still he gave him this responsibility. And Abbas عنه, maintained that responsibility until the time of Islam came. And even after Islam came and the Muslims... Um, you know, we're at the conquest of Mecca, Fatshu Mecca, when the Muslims now were able to take control of the city of Mecca, even then the Prophet ﷺ said that based on the will of my grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, that Abbas and his family members will maintain the responsibility of the well of Zamzam and the Siqaya. And so that stayed in his charge. And at that point in time, of course, as we know, that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ went into the care of Abu Talib. He was put into the care and the trust of Abu Talib. And the scholars also mentioned that there was a deeper connection that the Prophet ﷺ shared with his uncle Abu Talib even over some of his other uncles and his aunts. And that was simply because Abdul Muttalib had more than one wife. As was common at that time, of course, Abdul Muttalib had more than one wife. And so some of the uncles or the aunts of the Prophet ﷺ were uncles and aunts, but only through the grandfather. They would have different mothers than the grandmother of the Prophet. ﷺ. So they were, they, they, they were the uncles and the aunts of the Prophet ﷺ through his grandfather, but not through the grandmother. All right? But what was special and unique about Abu Talib is that Abu Talib's mother was, the, was also the grandmother of the Prophet. ﷺ. So the father of the Prophet, ﷺ, Abdullah and Abu Talib, not only had the same father, Abdul Muttalib, but they also had the same grandmother, a woman by the name of Fatima. 
the grandmother of the Prophet her name was Fatima, and so Abu Talib was more closely related to the Prophet than even his other uncles and aunts. And so there was a very, very special connection there. And of course, uh, Abu Talib took care of the Prophet and it's again, it goes on to say the same thing, that Abu Talib was, and I've mentioned this before when talking about and describing Abu Talib, Abu Talib was not a wealthy man. Even Abdul Muttalib wasn't an extremely wealthy man as you would expect from somebody of his status and his stature and his respect and his um, leadership. He wasn't as wealthy as you would expect, but especially Abu Talib. And this again goes back to the tarbi of the Prophet ﷺ, that again Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants the Prophet ﷺ, he called, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes away his very, very loving grandfather. And again, this is the continued upbringing and tarbi of the Prophet ﷺ. But at the same time, Allah balances the tarbi of the Prophet ﷺ by providing another individual who loved the Prophet ﷺ like he loved nobody else in this world. And not only that, but he had some very special qualities. Abdul Muttalib was that leader. But Abu Talib was a very, very simple man. And that was what was unique about Abu Talib. He's a very simple man. Literally what we call Zahid. In, in Arabic and Islamic terminology, the term zuhud, literally somebody who has no desire, no inclination, no connection to worldly things, to materialistic things. Abu Talib was that type of a man. Ibn Ishaq mentions, Al-Waqidi mentions, all the classical books of Sirah, they mention that Abu Talib was somebody who had no money, no wealth, he had no inclination towards these things. But at the same time, وَكَانَ يُحِبُّهُ حُبًّا شَدِيدًا he used to love the Prophet very, very, like he very strongly cared for the Prophet Such love and such affection towards the Prophet He literally did not love, he loved the Prophet like he didn't even love his own children. And I often say this and mention this that, you know when we talk about such situations or such cases and scenarios, we often say, you know he loved him like one of his own. Abu Talib didn't love the Prophet like one of his own. He loved the Prophet more than he loved his own. And that sounds impossible. And as a, fa as a father, I don't know if I'd ever be capable of doing that. Loving somebody else's child more than you love your own. But Abu Talib proved that it is possible. Because he literally would love the Prophet and take care of him more than he would do for his own children, his own child. And he would not go to sleep similarly like Abdul Muttalib, he would not go to sleep until he checked on the Prophet and made sure that he was safe and he was okay. When he would go out, he would make sure the Prophet was with him. He would shower him with so much love that literally it's unheard of. He, he similarly, like his father Abdul Muttalib, would not eat until he saw the Prophet had eaten. And when he would sit down to eat, he would sit, first sit and feed the Prophet before he would eat himself. And he would make sure that good, nice, special food was made for the Prophet And here comes a very interesting thing. An experience of Abu Talib, much like the experience of Halima al-Sa'adiyya. When the family of Abu Talib would eat individually, because Abu Talib was not a wealthy man, Food was very scarce. Food was very, was very little in their home. When they would eat individually or even when they would eat together and the Prophet was not there, there was not enough food for everybody. Everybody would get rationed a little bit of food. Everybody would get a little piece of bread. And they would have to eat whatever there was, drink a lot of water and just make do with what we had. Sorry, it is what it is. 
But it's but they say, وَإِذَا أَكَلَ مَعَهُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ شَبِعُ But the same amount of food would be made. And when this eight-year-old, nine-year-old child, Muhammad, this orphan child, Muhammad وسلم, when he would sit and eat with them, the food would be enough for everybody. The same amount of food. And now you add another mouth, add another chair to the table. It should be even less for everybody else. Everybody should be left even more hungry than they were before. But miraculously, the food would be enough for everybody. Everybody would eat to their fill and food would still be left on the table. From the barakah and the blessing of Muhammad Rasulullah As a child, like we talked about, like we studied about Halima and her experiences with the Prophet So literally, the family of Abu Talib, Abu Talib cared for the Prophet He physically was incapable of eating until the, he knew that the Prophet had eaten. But even the family of Abu Talib became so invested into the Prophet ﷺ, even if it was for their own agenda or their own purpose, they would not want to eat until Muhammad ﷺ was there. They would all look for the Prophet ﷺ, hey, where's Muhammad? Go find him. Go bring him and then we can eat food. Because of the barakah and the blessing that the Prophet ﷺ would bring to the table. And it said about Abu Talib, فَكَانَ إِذَا أَرَادَ أَن يُغَدِّيَهُمْ That when Abu Talib would sometimes come home, you know, he was out running the affairs or managing his business and doing whatever he had to do. And he would come home for lunch. He would come home for lunch. And the family was all sitting down waiting. They would put the food on the table and they were just waiting for father to show up. They were just waiting for the man of the house, Abu Talib, to show up. So he could come and sit and then we could start eating. He would come, he would sit down and he would tell his whole family, Kama antum hatta ya'ti ibni. Kama antum hatta ya'ti ya ibni. Stay as you are. Nobody move, everybody stay until my son gets here. My boy Muhammad's not here yet. Everybody stay as you are. Nobody eats until my boy's not here. And the Prophet would be brought, Fayati Rasulullah, the Prophet would come, Fayakul Ma'um, and then he would eat along with them. And they would literally give preference to the Prophet ﷺ. So if there was like a special, you know, it, you know, maybe there was a nice piece of meat or a nice cut of meat or something like that, they would actually give it to the Prophet ﷺ and the whole family would take care of him. And Abu Talib would, and because when a little bit of food would be made, that would not be enough for the family. But when the Prophet ﷺ would eat with them and it would be enough for everybody and food would be left over, Abu Talib would sit there in amazement. And he would look at this child, this eight-year-old child, this innocent child, who had lost everybody near and dear to him. And he would look at the Prophet ﷺ and he would say, Inna barakum. My son, there's something special about you. You're a blessed child. You're a blessed human being. There's some special blessing about you. Inna kalamubarakun. And the Abbas, uh, or excuse me, the, the, the family of Abu Talib. And in fact, uh, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma says that we heard from the family of Abu Talib, we heard that when children would, when the rest of the children in the house, when they would wake up in the morning, you know the crust that is, you know, at the corner of the eye? You know when you wake up in the morning, you have a little bit of nastiness, you have a little bit of crust in the corner of your eye, 
right? The gunk or whatever it's called, right? So that little bit of gunk is in your eye and the kids would be like really messy and stuff when they would wake up. They, you know, they, they'd be drool all over their face and they'd have gunk in their eye and their head would be all, their hair would be all disheveled and all messy looking and stuff. And their mom would have to wash them and, you know, comb their hair and, you know, oil their hair and neat nice and make them up and make them look nice and neat before they went out of the house. So when the children would wake up in the morning, they look like a mess. Literally, it says, When they'd wake up in the morning, they'd be like nasty and messy and drool on their face and gunk in their eyes and their hair would be all disheveled and messed up. But when the Prophet would wake up in the morning, his hair was like perfect. <laughs> his hair would look like perfect and his eyes would look like bright and clean and clear. Kahil literally means like somebody's like kuhul, antimony. You know, like it's not quite mascara. That's not a good representation because then that mascara makes you look emo. All right, the Prophet didn't look emo. All right, that's a misrepresentation. But it just means that your eyes look big and bright. They look clean and clear. There's no redness. There's no gunk. You know, not like how we look in the morning. How do you look once you've taken a shower and you've eaten some breakfast and you've put on your nice clothes? Then you know when you look nice and bright and fresh in the morning? That's what the Prophet looked like the second he woke up. And his hair would look nice and his eyes would look big and bright and clean and clear. There was just something special about this child and everybody would um, see that. And I, even as a child, the Prophet displayed amazing akhlaq and khuluq, and mannerisms. He had this dignity to him that children normally don't have. Children are cute and adorable, don't get me wrong. But they also lack like a certain amount of like, dignity if you want to call it. Right? I don't know what else to, how else to refer to it. What I'm trying to say is, you know, if a child sees a piece of food on the ground, what does he do? Right? Goes right up and just puts it in their mouth. Right? If, if you put out like some, some food on the, on the table and the child can reach it, what's going to happen? Destruction. Child runs up to it and just sticks both hands into it and it's done, it's destroyed. That's what children do. So when the children would wake up in the morning, they would look like a mess. The Prophet would wake up in the morning and he'd look just like this, this beautiful, radiant child. And then when the mother, Abu Talib's wife, she would put food out for breakfast in the morning for the children, the, child would all, the children would all run to the table. And they're all like, you know, kind of pushing each other out of the way and elbowing each other. And they're all like trying to grab stuff and grabbing, snatching. Like, like if you opened up a box of donuts in the middle of a bunch of six-year-olds. You're going to have to call the ambulance. Something bad's going to happen. Right? So they're all like pushing each other and snatching food out of each other's hands. And move, move, mom, you won't give me some. And everybody's wrestling and fighting for some food in the morning. And it said that they would look at the Prophet ﷺ, But the Prophet ﷺ would literally stand back and he wouldn't go and wrestle and jump in with them. And he would stand back quietly and calmly. He didn't feel that that was appropriate behavior. A child, eight-year-old child, he would behave in this way. But then when Abu Talib would see this, Abu Talib, you know, like the dad is in the morning kind of sitting off to the side reading the newspaper. Right, kind of doing his own thing. And the kids are all there having breakfast or whatever they call it, right? Wrestling for food. So they're doing their whole thing. And then Abu Talib one day looks over and he sees all the kids are doing what kids do. 
But the Prophet of Allah stands off to the side, just kind of with his hands folded up, and he won't go in there and get his hands dirty with all of them, and he just has this, this dignity to him that normally ch children of that age don't possess. And when he saw that, then Abu Talib used to in the morning go, and before the children could get there and ravage all the food, he would take a little bit of food off to the side and keep it separately. And when the kids would come and all start wrestling and grabbing food and running out of the house on their way out in the morning, then he would keep some food off to the side and he would call the Prophet ﷺ and give him food separately on the side. And he'd say, come here son, sit down, here you go. And the Prophet ﷺ would sit down very properly, very appropriately and eat with adab. So even from that young age, the Prophet ﷺ displayed that type of you know, dignity and uh, akhlaq and character and just those type of behavior, that type of behavior and mannerisms. Ibn Ishaq mentions that a man one time came from an outside tribe or village, a Bedouin man, he came from outside, and he was basically a soothsayer, a fortune teller. And the Arabs were very much, this was a big part of their culture. Soothsayers, fortune tellers. You know, today people read their horoscope, but they call a psychic or whatever it is. So just like, unfortunately, it's a part of today's culture. And of course, we understand this is something that's not permissible in Islam. The Prophet says somebody who goes to a fortune teller intentionally knowing what they're doing, and they go to that person, then that person has rejected and denied the religion that Muhammad was sent with. So meaning that person is disbelieved in Islam. A person is, you know, contradicting their own faith. So it's impermissible, but of course this unfortunately happens today, and it happened at that time pre-Islamic, in the pre-Islamic era, uh, in Arab society at that time. So one thing that everybody would do, and this particular fortune teller was very, very famous. He was very, very famous, and one of his specialties was, you would take your children to him, you would take your, um, you would take your children to him, and he would look at the children, he would ask them a few questions, and he would do his little mumbo jumbo, his little act, and then what he would do at the end of it was, he would kind of tell you about the future of your child. Oh, there's something good, or there's something bad, or be careful, or watch out for this, or whatever it is. So Abu Talib similarly took the Prophet wasallam out there to this fortune teller. And the Prophet was a small child, so Abu Talib just grabbed him by the hand, took him out there as well. And when that fortune teller looked at the Prophet and kind of came close to him and sat down and just looked at him for a while, um, and after he was done looking at him, you know, Abu Talib of course figured, okay, our turn's over. So he grabs the hand of the Prophet and he, you know, starts to leave. And there's other customers or clients and they kind of, they're getting kind of restless, like you know, people waiting in line get restless. Oh, look at my child, look at my boy, it's our turn, it's our turn. And so the man, the fortune teller, kind of lost sight of the Prophet for a second. And so he got really, really nervous and he started to say, where's that boy that I was just looking at? Where's the boy that I was just looking at? And he started calling for him and Abu Talib hears the fortune teller that he sounds kind of like he's panicking. He sounds, he sounds like he's panicking and he seems a little too interested. You know, this is just supposed to be a little ritual, like a little tradition. You go to the fortune teller, you show him your son, he says, oh, good, good things, nice things, whatever, whatever. And you go back on, on back home. It's just like, like in this culture, we have taking a picture with Santa. It's just a little ritual, it's a little custom. You go to the mall, you take a picture with Santa and you get going. 
All of a sudden, when Santa starts asking, oh, where's that kid that I just took a picture with? You freak out, right? But what you want with my kid? What's wrong with you? We need to get out of here. Santa's kind of creepy, right? <laughs> right? So Abu Talib, you know, our turn's over. He takes the Prophet Wasallam and he starts to go. Takes his nephew Muhammad and he starts to go. The fortune teller starts to freak out. Hey, where's that kid? Where's that kid? I was just looking at, where's that kid? Abu Talib hears him and Abu Talib gets kind of nervous. He's like, what's wrong with this guy? Why does he have such a keen interest in my nephew? Remember, they're already very overprotective of the Prophet And then all of a sudden you have some stranger, some weird fortune teller guy looking for him. So Abu Talib pieces out of there. He gets out of there real quickly. It says in the narration that the fortune teller is very upset. He gets very angry and very upset. He says, Waylakum, get out of here, all of you. I don't want to see anybody else's kid. All of you get out of here. Bring me that back that boy that I was just looking at earlier. Because there's something special about that boy. That boy's not an ordinary boy. That's not an ordinary child. There's something special. And we know from the Messenger of Allah, in fact, the Quran talks about this as well. Rajiman bil ghaib talks about the shayateen. Right? Right? And, and the Prophet tells us about this in a hadith as well, that a lot of times these fortune tellers, they are influenced by shayateen. And what happens is that the shayateen that try to sneak out a little bit of information here, a little bit of information there, from the conversations of the malaika, that they, they bring bits and pieces of broken information. There's a famous story of Ibn Siyad. Ibn Sayyad. That there was a child that some of the Sahaba felt, you know, were, were worried. There was some paranoia amongst the Sahaba that Ibn Sayyad might turn out to be the Dajjal. The Antichrist. And so they, they told the Prophet and when the Prophet basically tested this child. And then the Prophet assured the Sahaba, he said, he's not Dajjal. But he is influenced by shayateen. And the Prophet actually, the incident goes that the Prophet said, I'm thinking of something. And he was thinking of an ayah of the Quran. Mubin. He said, I'm thinking of something. Tell me what I'm thinking of. And the child sat there for a little while and then started going, Dukh, Dukh. And the Prophet said, He's influenced by shayateen. So, this is a similar type of situation, possibly, that these types of fortune tellers would often be influenced by shayateen. And so it's very, very possible that when this fortune teller is sitting there in the company of the Prophet of Allah, even as an innocent child, that through some shayateen or something, he's influenced or he's told or he's informed that this is a very special child. You need to keep an eye on this child. We might need you to do something with this child. And so he freaks out and he says, where's that child? Bring him back to me because there's something special about that child. But by that time, Abu Talib has already moved on and he's already left. So inshallah, we'll go ahead and stop here. So just to summarize, what we've talked about this particular week is that the Prophet of Allah was able to receive the very loving 
doting care and attention of his grandfather Abdul Muttalib until Abdul Muttalib passes away and passes him on into the care of his very loving, um, generous, kind uncle Abu Talib. And then his uncle Abu Talib basically takes care of the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we'll go on to talk about some of the experiences of the Prophet while in the care of his uncle Abu Talib. And again, we talked about some of those special conversations or incidents where people constantly continue to note something special about this blessed child, Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I, you know, driving in here today, you know, the weather's kind of rough outside and I definitely appreciate everybody still coming to the masjid for salah and then sticking around for the, the lesson, the class, the dars afterwards. And I, I just wanted to make a comment on that, that, you know, it's important to remember why we do what we do. Like a little bit of tarbiyah, why we do what we do. You know, a lot of times, and this is unfortunate, um, but a lot of times in our own short-sightedness or our lack of, you know, um, perspective, our lack of perspective a lot of times, you know, and sh this is definitely a trick of shaitan as well, you know, sometimes we become very entitled. I come here and I give the dars and I'm doing you a, a favor. Or you come here to listen and you do me a favor. But what we always have to remind ourselves, to humble ourselves and benefit from what we're talking about is, I'm not doing you a favor, you're not doing me a favor. We're not doing the Irving Masjid a favor. And we definitely are not doing Allah and His Prophet ﷺ any favors. But this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showering a huge blessing upon us. This is Allah doing us a favor. By allowing us to be a small part of continuing the legacy and talking about the life of the beloved of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is such a huge blessing that for 45 minutes a week, you and I, we sit here and we sit in the masjid in the house of Allah and we talk about the life of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. An unbelievable, enormous blessing. And we should be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He allows us to do this, that He selects us to do this, that He accepts us to do this. And we should be even more grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on a day like this. And when it's rain, and it's dark, and it's cold, and the roads are kind of dicey, that when it's enough excuse for us to stay home, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still accepts us and grants us the tawfiq and the ability to put up with a little bit of difficulty. I don't, at the same time don't want to blow it out of proportion. It's not like it's a, a hurricane or a tornado outside. But still, whatever little difficulty it is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to overcome that difficulty, to push through that difficulty, and still come here and sit with adab and sit with respect and read the life of the beloved Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from studying the life of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And may Allah grant us true love for Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka.